All right. <clears throat> so, um, kind of like last week, as I wrap up my regular preaching ministry here, uh, the elders have asked me to use these last few Sundays to help us prepare for the transition. So, I'm sharing with you some of the passages that have been helpful for me uh, as I think through this, and I think will be helpful for all of us, um, especially if you've never been through a pastoral change before, or maybe it's been a long time. Uh, so last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 3, and the big idea there was that human leaders are relatively unimportant. Not worthless, but relatively unimportant. The Corinthians had these fan clubs they'd created for Paul and for Apollos and for Peter. Uh, and Paul reminded them uh, that humans, compared to God, were nothing. That they're just servants planting and watering, but God brings the growth. Uh, the really cool thing is that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we have the Spirit of God. And that no matter what human leader you have or don't have, that everything is okay because we have the Holy Spirit. So that was 1 Corinthians 13. This week I want to jump back to Acts into chapter 13. Because there's a little story here, just in three verses, that I want to unpack um, to help us to see that, that what's going on here in our church, as painful as it is, and it is, this is hard, um, I'm kind of scared to say, like, just raise your hand if you didn't want to come to church today, but you don't have to do that, but I might put my hand up there. Uh, it's just hard, right? It's hard. This is a painful time. Um, but as painful as it is, uh, it is normal for God to send people out from churches for the sake of mission. Okay, that's the big idea today. Just, it's normal for God to send people out from churches for the sake of mission. So turn to Acts 13. We're going to read about something that happened to the church in Antioch. And since Antioch isn't often talked about, I'm going to give you a little background on this church. This is an awesome, awesome church. Um, didn't have any letters written to it, in part because they were so awesome. Didn't need any letters written to them. Um, but this is a really great church. Uh, so Antioch is located in what would be southern Turkey today, really close to the border of Syria. Uh, it was at that time the third city of the empire, kind of like Chicago is in our country. Right? you got New York and Los Angeles and then Chicago. Uh, it would have been Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. So Antioch is... Uh, this international city with all sorts of people, Greeks, Syrians, Jews, Arabs, um, a commercial hub. It's got a river that goes to the Mediterranean. So it's an influential city, and like many major influential cities, it was also a moral cesspool, right? So this is what happens. Uh, and so you can read about the founding of this church in Acts 11, where just bef before this, two big things had happened. One, Peter had gotten this vision uh, of inclusion of the Gentiles, and then had an encounter where he shared the gospel with Gentiles, they got accepted by the church, and he's like, okay, Gentiles can become Christians. This is huge. You don't have to become Jews first. This is for Gentiles, too. And then also, persecution broke out, scattering the church finally out of Jerusalem. They got persecuted, and they started going everywhere. And so some believers went to Antioch. They shared the gospel with Gentiles, because they realized you could do that now. And they got great fruit. Uh, people were converted. Amazing stuff was going on. So Barnabas went, to, went up from Jerusalem, checked it out, said, this is awesome. I'm going to go find Paul. He gets Paul, brings him to Antioch, and they have a ministry there for a couple years, helping this church to grow and to flourish. And the church was doing so well, Acts tells us this is the first place that people were called Christians. The first time that name was used, which means little Christ. So these guys were doing so good at imitating Jesus that other folks were like, have you seen those little Christs? So it's a great church. They love Jesus. They're growing like crazy. So you fast forward about two years, you got this young church in this influential city. They're making a huge impact. And if this were happening in America today, 
it would be about time for the book deal. Right, where you, you find the pastors and you say, how did you do it? This is what everybody wants, this successful, thriving church in a, in a major city. How do we get to be like you guys? And so they'd write the book, and then they'd probably not do much different stuff. They'd just keep growing. They'd maybe hire some more staff to, fund, you know, to take care of all the people that are coming to the church. Uh, but in Acts 13, we read that something very different happens. There's this prayer meeting that the leaders of the church were having, and as they pray, God gives them a clear direction that goes against the grain of what you'd expect to happen. He doesn't tell them to get bigger and better, consolidate their gains, and keep doing what they're doing. Instead, he tells them to send away two of their best leaders for the sake of mission. This is Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and, set, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. All right, that's all I want to read today, just those few verses, this little story. Okay, but what's happening here? So you've got these five leaders in the church. They're prophets and teachers, it says. And they're spending time with the Lord. They're worshiping, they're praying, they're fasting together. And it's amazing who these five people are. This is a diverse group. You've got Barnabas, who was a Jew. He was from Cyprus. He was a Levite and a farmer, a landowner. You've got Simeon. It says he was called Niger, which is the Latin word for dark or black. So this is a guy who was a black African. So already in this early church, this thriving church, you got this black African in leadership. You got Lucius, it says he's from Cyrene, which is what we would call Libya. So in North Africa, he'd be a lighter skinned African. You got Menaean, it says he's a lifelong friend of Herod. So this guy who is connected to the powerful elite of the day. And then you've got Saul slash Paul, the former Pharisee who was born in Tarsus in Turkey, uh, is a laborer. He makes tents. Um, so you've got this amazing mixture of folks. You've got uh, rich and poor, uh, light-skinned, dark-skinned, Jew, Gentile, uh, connected to the powerful elite uh, or a common laborer, right? It, what brings these people together? It's Jesus, right? This is, some, this is a sort of group that only Jesus can bring together, and he has united them together in worship and in prayer and in fasting. And as they're praying, it says, the Holy Spirit said, so probably speaking through one of the prophets there, uh, a prophecy says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And what's the work he's called them to? We can read about that in the rest of Acts. It's pretty much the rest of the book. Is this work of going out to new cities, to sharing the gospel, planting churches, uh, and then sending, you know, going to other places and planting more churches and just going on these missionary journeys. It's the mission that God gave in Acts 1.8. You know, be, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit says, take, take Barnabas, take Saul, and set them apart for this work. And so they pray some more, they fast some more, they lay their hands on them, and they send them out for the sake of mission. So this is a remarkable little story. And there's three things that I think speak to our situation today. And it's that it's normal for God to send people out from churches for the sake of mission. It's costly for God to send people out for the sake of mission. And it's good 
for God to send people out from the sake, for the sake of mission. Okay, so let's take those in order. First, it's normal. It's normal for God to send people out from churches for the sake of mission. This thing that they do here, it, for, it seems weird to us at first. It's not what we would expect. Um, like I said, if you've got a new church, two or three years old, it's thriving, people are coming, everything's clicking, the last thing that you're going to do is say, hey, let's send away these leaders. Instead, what you do is you say, hey, we've got good teachers, so we need to let more people know about that. We need to advertise. We need to get the word out. Don't send people away. Get more people to come. In fact, we probably need to hire more leaders, not send leaders away, because we've got more people, and we've got to take care of these things. That's what's more normal to us. Sending away a good teacher, let alone two good teachers like Barnabas and Saul, that seems really weird. But it's just weird to us. Uh, according to the to the DNA that God has built into the church, as we've seen in Acts, it's very normal to send people out. God never intended for the church to settle down into one place and to get comfortable and for everybody to stay there. He gave the church a mission, reach the world. And to reach the world, you have to constantly be sending people out from the church to get to new people. Acts 1.8 sets the agenda. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, it may sound obvious, but I'm just going to say it. If the church has the mission to reach people in other places with the gospel, the church can't fulfill that mission if everyone stays in the same place. Okay? If the church has the mission to reach people in other places with the gospel, you can't fulfill that mission if everybody stays in one place. Right? So if the gospel is supposed to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, but everybody stayed in Jerusalem... Never, we would not be sitting here today. Right? We're the ends of the earth. We didn't even know we existed at that time. Right? So if everybody stays in Jerusalem, you got a church in Jerusalem, but you don't have a church in Judea, you don't have a church in Samaria, you don't have churches at the ends of the earth. So in order for the mission to be fulfilled, some people have to stay in Jerusalem, but some people need to be sent. And that's what we see in Acts. We see people on the move, going to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth leaving their homes, leaving their physical homes, leaving their church homes, being sent out by God to go into places where the gospel has not yet been preached. So it's normal. This is normal to send people out for the sake of mission. And I've got to say, I, I critique the American church a lot because that's all I've known, but, but I've also been privileged to see this modeled really, really well in the churches I've been a part of. Your experience may vary, but the churches I've been a part of have been so good at sending people out when we were fresh college graduates and we were in, in the church in Bolingbrook that we were part of, our pastor was Marty Schoenlieber. Um, he spoke here once. I don't know if any of you remember him being here. Um, passionate guy. Um, but he's really passionate about the mission of God. And, and he, he, he feels called especially to plant churches. That One of the ways that God has equipped him and gifted him to, to take this mission to new people is by helping churches get started. And so before we had gotten to this church, just recently, they had planted another church. They'd gotten this vision uh, within the very suburb where they were in Bolingbrook, the other side of town. They thought there really needs to be a church on the other side of the suburb. And so they thought, we're going to be a part of planting a church on the other side of town. And so Marty stood up in front of the church and he said, okay, we're going we're to start this church. And I want everybody in the church to pray about whether they should go and be a part of this new church. He said, the only person who can't leave is my wife. He said, everybody else is negotiable. I mean, everybody else can go. Just seek God's will. If God's leading you, then you should go. 
And I don't know the exact numbers because this did happen before we got there, but it was a thriving church at that time, probably three to 400 people because they had, they had two services. They had probably five or six full-time staff, just this thriving church. Uh, and conventional wisdom would say, don't mess this up. Okay. But no, he said, just pray about it. Just ask God if you should go. And because the church, was, the church plant was so close to where they were planting, uh, and it wasn't that, like, people wouldn't even have to move necessarily to start going to the new church. A lot of people went to the new church. I don't know the exact numbers, but it was more than just a couple people. It was some key givers. It was people, key musicians. It was leaders, uh, those coveted young families that everybody always wants when you're in church. Right? People went to the new church because they felt called to go to this other side of town and reach people who are not yet being reached, who couldn't be reached by what they were doing there. And that taught me, like, this is normal. That's what churches do. We just send people out for the sake of the gospel. And it's not just something big churches do. After we were part of that church, we went to St. Louis, part of an itty-bitty church plant. Um, probably generously, it was probably 35 people. And, and, and at about the time when we were leaving, because I was finishing seminary, over a two-year period, that church sent us away to come here since another pastoral couple away, some of you might know Kurt Brubaker, he's visited here a couple times with his family, sent them away, sent another couple away to be missionaries in Uganda. So over the course of about two years, this church of 35 sent away about half of their people to new places to do ministry. And I would think at that time that my friend Todd, who was the pastor there, who some of you also met, uh, you'd think he'd be panicking, saying, no, 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 you can't go. This can't be God's will for your life. You, you, there's no way he's taking away half of my people, let alone these leaders in ministry. But he knew that there was a bigger mission for God's church, that if he were to hold on to us, then God wouldn't be uh, using us to do the work in Metamora or in Vinton, Iowa, or in Uganda. And so he sent us out. Those are just two examples. I, really, I know of many, many more of people who say, you know, if God calls me wherever, I'll go. If God sends you wherever, I'll send you to. I mean, as much as the larger American church thinks that this is weird, I've been blessed to be a part of many faith communities who recognize this is normal. It's normal for God to send people out for the sake of mission. Okay, but if it's normal, why don't we do it more often? Well, it's because it's costly. It's costly. It's very costly to send people out from churches for the sake of ministry. If you look again at the ministry team in Acts 13, these five prophets and teachers, these five people, these gifted teachers, an amazing ministry team, they're worshiping together, they're praying together, and God says, I want to send away two of them. 40% of the leadership, just go. And these are not two bottom-of-the-barrel guys like, huh, yeah, we were thinking of kicking them out anyway. You know, it's like, oh, you want to plant a church? Well, I wouldn't let you teach Sunday school here, but sure, you want to go plant a church? Go ahead. I mean, this is Paul and Barnabas. These are Christian superstars. And you can just hear the detractors saying, if you send these guys away, it's going to hurt our church. And you know what? They're probably right. I mean, almost certainly it hurt the church in Antioch to send Paul and Barnabas away. How, how could it not? How could it not hurt them to send away two such gifted leaders and teachers? I'm sure Paul's teaching was missed sorely. I'm sure Barnabas' encouragement and pastoral care was deeply missed. 
And I'm sure that relationally it hurts all of them. I mean, you get a group of people like this, Paul, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan, and they're worshiping together, they're praying together, they're fasting together. That is deep relationship. That is intimacy. These guys love one another. Those kind of relationships are hard to find where you can share life deeply with one another, minister together in that way. And so to go away, and, and, and as they're leaving, like, you understand, right, this is years apart from one another, at the very least. Now, Paul, eventually, they come back, they do this circuit where they go out and then they come back, but it takes a long time, and the most communication you have is letters delivered by hand. So this is a long time saying, we're not going to see you for a while. We love you, but we're not going to see you for a while. We're not going to talk. That had to hurt. And if any of you have had a close friend or a family member move across country, you know what that feels like to have a deep, life-giving relationship that you just can't experience in the same way anymore. So it was very costly for Paul and Barnabas to go. It was costly for the church to send them. It cost them in terms of their ministry success. It cost them in terms of their relationships. And that's why... Many of us resist following their example today. It's just too costly to consider leaving a church or sending someone away for the sake of mission. So the church we were part of in Bolingbrook, uh, they experienced it. So they sent a lot of people away, more than they expected, to plant a church across town. It really cost them. When we showed up a couple years later, um, even still, uh, you felt the, the loss. We were there for about four years. Every year, when it came time to, to have the annual meeting and the budget, we, they were struggling to meet budget. The staff took pay cuts. They delayed needed maintenance on the building, all because suddenly they had a lot less people there than they used to. And of course, it was costly for our church in St. Louis to send all those people out. I mean, can you imagine what a small church like that could have done with all of us still staying in leadership in that one church? But Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas. The church in Bolingbrook sent people across town. The St. Louis church sent us out because they knew that even though it's costly, it's still good. And that's the third thing. So it's normal to send people out. It's costly to send people out, but it is good. It's good. So first of all, it's good for the world. It's good for the world. Right, just think about this. What if this little passage happens here? Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Paul and Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And they're all like, uh, No, we really need them here. I mean, what, what is missed out on if Barnabas and Saul don't get sent out in this moment? It's impossible to know for sure, but thousands of people who would have otherwise gotten saved don't get saved. Right? The gospel doesn't go out to these places. Churches don't get planted in towns like Iconium and Lystra and Philippi and Thessalonica and Athens and Corinth and Ephesus and Galatia. We never get the letters written to Romans, uh, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, right? Like the New Testament, just gone. Now, sure, Antioch as a church itself may have grown a little bit bigger, might have gotten some more people to come because they still had Paul and Barnabas, but but by going in obedience to God, countless people all over the world, and then the spiritual generations of those people were reached with the gospel. People who would not have been reached if they hadn't gone, if they hadn't been sent. 
So it was very costly for the church. It was costly for Antioch to send out these two godly guys uh, and, and, and to send them away from the church. It was costly relationally. It was costly for the church, but it was worth it because it was good for the world. It was good for God's mission. And I think that's what we forget when we drag our feet, when we resist God's call in our lives. And, and here I just want to speak generally about obedience. Just our, the role of every single one of us in our lives to obey God. Wh- whatever it is. But when God calls us to do something in our lives, to obey Him in whatever way, it is often costly to do that. And we drag our feet saying, oh, I don't want to obey. I don't want to do this, God. I don't want to say no to this sin. I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to move to that place. I don't want to do this thing. But faith is looking <laughs> at God as a good father who commands us to do good things and trusting that he has a plan that we might not be able, we might not be able to see right now. And so the everyday struggle of faith for every Christian is to say, I believe God, I believe his word is true, and no matter what he calls me to do, I will do it no matter the cost, because I trust that he's good. And in this specific case, for Paul and Barnabas and all the people of Antioch, obedience was, we don't want to send them away, we don't want to go, but God is called. And so even though all we can see right now is the cost, we're trusting that there's a good fruit at the end. And there was. There is. So it led, to, it led to incredible good for the whole world. But you know what? It was also good for the church in Antioch. So it's good for the world, and it's good for the sending church in a couple ways. First of all, I'm sure it was good for them ultimately to know that what they had done bore good fruit in the world. So Paul and Barnabas, they, they remained connected to Antioch. They would go out on the missionary journeys, and they'd always come back. If you, if you kind of read through the rest of Acts, you see them going out and then coming back. And one of those times when they come back is Acts 14, 27, the end of Acts 14. Here's what it says. Uh, And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And there remained no little time with the disciples. So they get back to Antioch and they say, guys, God did all this stuff. They relate the things that we can read about in Acts chapter 13 and 14, these amazing works of God changing people's lives and delivering them from persecution and planting churches. And they share it with the church, and the church is encouraged. And it was good for the church to hear these things, to say the sacrifice was worth it. And don't you feel that way about the people that we support, the missionaries we have? Like when you hear about Kathy Johnson going to the Peoria Rescue Mission and playing piano and making connections with these guys, and just thinking, man... Kathy, you are a saint. We're so glad for you to be a part of the ministry you're continuing to do in these last years of your life. Or Randy and Kay Tharp sharing the gospel with prisoners um, in, in Pekin and around the country through this, these, uh, uh, the, this correspondence course and then hearing stories of guys' lives being changed as they begin to study the Bible. And even the last one we heard of a guy saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor now. <laughs> And you just think, wow, we're a part of that. We're a little part of that, but we're a part of that as we support them and send them out. And that's the beauty of having missionaries and and being a sending church. And it's good for us to know that we have impact in other places around the world as we send people out. But it's good, too, to send people out because it forces those who stay behind to grow in new ways. 
So it's good for the church to, to, to see the fruit. It's also good for the church to, to grow as we're left behind. Okay, so just think about this. You got a church, five leaders, five, past, uh, five prophets and teachers, and one of those is Paul. Right? How much airtime are the other ones getting? Right? I mean, I'm sure Manan was great, but like if Paul's there, I'd be like, can we just have Paul talk again? Right? Right? I mean, yeah, Manan, you can maybe um, you can lead the kids Sunday school class, but Paul, I mean, we got Paul, right? Let's let's have Paul talk for a while. But if Paul leaves, if Paul gets sent out, if Barnabas gets sent out, now there's a vacuum. Now, now you got Simeon and Lucius and Manaim, they're going, Well, what are we gonna do? We don't have Paul anymore, we don't have Barnabas anymore. We still have the Holy Spirit. And as they step into those roles, the Holy Spirit fills them even more with fresh gifts and fresh leadership. And, and the church learns the lesson of 1 Corinthians 3 that it wasn't about Paul after all. That God's the one who brings the growth. And that's exactly what we experienced in the church in Bolingbroke when we came there after they had planted a church. There's this huge vacuum, huge leadership vacuum. A ton of the young, adventurous people had left to start this new thing. And so they need people to step up. And so we got there, and they're like, you love Jesus? Oh, you're, you're, you're a little bit qualified? Hey, uh, would you like to lead something? And they put us in charge of the junior high ministry. And, uh, and that, that role right there set me on a track for pastoral ministry so that, I mean, I could honestly say, like, if they hadn't planted that church and had a vacuum in leadership such that we could step into that role, I might never have been here being your pastor for these last eight years because they would have had plenty of people in that church doing those leadership roles, and, 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 you know, I don't know what I would have done. Different service that didn't allow me to exercise my gifts and experience the Spirit in that way. And this happens. This happens all the time when people get sent away. Those who are left realize they have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit works in fresh ways, bringing fresh giftings and fresh power to flourish uh, in places where they may have otherwise not been able to. So I think my point today is pretty clear why I picked this passage, is because I think that this fits pretty closely with what God is doing in our church right now. Um, just like last week, I'm, I'm, there's a certain hesitation in all this stuff. I'm not saying I'm Paul. I'm not Paul. <laughs> just, a, just an ordinary person. Of course, he said he was just an ordinary person too. But but I think God is working. There's been a long season of prayer and wrestling and some fasting too. And I'm convinced that this is a time where God is sending me out from this church. And it's for the sake of furthering his mission. And I told you, I'm not sure what this looks like long term, but I, I take comfort in the fact that this sort of thing is normal. That it's normal for God to call people and to send them out. I mean, this sort of thing could happen to you too, right? This happens in churches all the time. People get called out to be missionaries. People get called out to do other stuff, right? That happens, we send. It's normal. If God didn't do this, if everyone just stayed put where they were, we would still have one church in Jerusalem and everyone else would be lost. So it's normal. But it's costly. I'm not trying to put a rose-colored glasses and all this stuff, like, it's costly. It's, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt our church. I, I think it's going to leave a hole for a while. There's going to be a leadership vacuum. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be costly relationally. 
Now, praise God, we're not moving. We're still going to be around, but relationships will change. We're not going to see each other as often. We're going to have new relationships and different people we have to invest in, and we're just not going to be together as much. And that stinks. It really stinks. But what we're holding on to, what I'm trying to hold on to, is that it is good. That God has a good plan. That as he calls us away from here, he will equip you with everything that you need to fill the hole that we leave behind. And I think, honestly, I really think this, that until I move away, he will not equip you to fill the hole we leave behind. That sometimes I cast too long of a shadow and I take up too much of the oxygen. And there's some Menaeans and Luciuses here and <laughs> others that, that have just been sitting in the shadows because I've been doing too much. And so God's going to help us with that. He's going to help us with the relational pain. But more importantly, I think that as God calls us away, he's going to reach new people. I think there's people out there that I can't reach unless I go do something new. And so that's going to be good. But we don't want to just leave. Paul and Barnabas didn't just leave. They were prayed for, and they were sent. And so that's how we want to end today. Um, as we've talked with the elders, that's, that's like we've done with others. Is like when David and Daphne were called by God to move to the south. God bless them. <laughs> you know, we prayed for them and sent them out. As God calls us, we want to pray for us um, and send us out. So I'd like... Um, as we talked about, yeah, the elders who come up now and my family, and you guys can just pray for us and ask God's blessing as we take this next step together. Thank you uh, for the Lehman family, for Jen, Dan, Kit, Tally, and Ange. Uh, we thank you for these eight years, uh, for the leadership, uh, for the sermons, the leading of worship, the beginning of small group ministries, different small group ministries, for having Bible studies in their home, couples uh, ministries in their home, counseling people uh, who need it going over to people's houses to pray, to visit the elderly and the sick, um, for everything that they did that I didn't know about. Uh, we just ask that, uh, uh, you be with them right now, um, in this time of transition, uh, which, which is hard for all of us, for them especially, uh, for them to, to leave here is, is tough, but we thank you so much for, for them being here, for Dan, uh, accepting this job and uh, for Jen fulfilling so many roles here in the church, um, children's ministry don't forget about that one, I just, just thank you for everything that time and energy that they put into ministry here in this place um, but knowing that it doesn't stop here that as they go home today and begin their new endeavors that there will be so many more opportunities to bring your word 
to those who don't know it, uh, to to seek out people who are ripe for the harvest, right, to hear your gospel, and they will be faithful um, more times than not. We all fail sometimes. Thank you, Lord, for them. Um, we appreciate everything they've done. And even though it's hard um, right now, we do ask that you would uh, be with us, too, you know, as we send them out, that uh, we, n- we need help, you know, to to fulfill this, this vacuum that will be left um, by their presence, by the things that they've done here. And um, we, we, just, we just put it in your hands right now. Lord, we trust in you for, for all things. We know that you are faithful and good and that you have good for them in mind and good for us. Uh, and maybe we can't see it right now, but we know it's out there and we hold on to that. Uh, thank you, Lord, again. Uh, you are good. You are worthy of praise. We, uh, they're not. They're not moving away. <laughs> they'll, they'll be in touch, but it will be hard. Thank you for comforting us, Lord, and being with them. I praise these things in Jesus' name.